Welcome to Creating Your Happy Place, a podcast that explores how our spaces support or sabotage our happiness and then empowers you to do whatever it takes to get happy at home. I'm Rebecca West, host of Creating Your Happy Place and author of the book, Happy Starts at Home, and I'm so glad you're here today. On today's episode of Creating Your Happy Place, we're chatting with a woman who's experienced dozens of versions of home, everything from living in a grand home with six bedrooms and seven bathrooms, to a hand-built straw bale in the middle of nowhere, Montana, hours away from even a proper grocery store, to living on a 40-foot boat sailing from Baja to Guam across the South Pacific Ocean for three years. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show, currently living in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, with her husband and new puppy, Wilson, artist, Terry Rafferty. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I have so many questions for you. Now, we could start in a lot of different places, and it was hard to pick, but I decided that this is what I wanted to know first. Because you've lived in all these different kinds of homes, off the top of your head, which of your homes would you say has made you the happiest and why? Each home is so different, and we've chosen it for such different reasons. So in many ways, it's just whichever home I'm living in. It's, it's that time of my life, that project that we're doing, and we're happy doing it. And then obviously, when we're done with it, we pick up and move. I love that answer. And you're right. And that's why it was so hard for me to, to, to know where to start. And that's why I wanted to start with that question, because they are so unique. I mean, a boat to, you know, basically a mansion, uh, an RV, I think was thrown in there. You've hand built houses, you've remodeled houses, you've had these prefab situations. It's all over the place. It is, but they're all home. They're all home. What do you think has been consistent from home to home? I've been thinking about that a lot because now that I'm living in the South, um, I meet a lot of people who not only know their friends are from kindergarten. They've known them forever because they all have stayed. Um, but also a lot of them live in their parents' home. That's the ancestral home. And, oh, yeah. And that is so foreign to me. And I think, oh, how lovely. And, and that sense of continuity. And then I think a little bit more and go, oh, my God, I would feel so trapped and claustrophobic and like I could never do anything. And so I think what I've come to is that for me, home is is part of my adventures. It, it's not a permanent state. And some people I keep with me, you know, through email or in the old days, uh, snail mail. Other people fall to the wayside somewhat, but it's me and my husband. And um, we're, we're just happy off doing projects and adventuring. And, and that is kind of the definition of home for us. Well, so speaking of the word adventure, it really does ident- like kind of define some of the homes that you've lived in. So, I mean, I got t- I want to talk about the boat. You, you lived okay. on a 40-foot sailboat for three years. And yes. if I understand correctly, you weren't sailors. Like you yeah. hadn't been overnight in a sailboat until you guys took off or something? I had done two afternoon tea sails where I had no responsibility for the boat. And um, my husband had done some racing sailing where you have a team of racers and, you know, it's a very different process and different kind of boat. So, no, when we went out, we were living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And when we went under the Golden Gate Bridge, it was all new territory, literally. And um, very scary, very intimidating, very fun. 
It was it was a wild three years. I have to say that. How old were you when you when you started that adventure? Thirty five, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably thirty five. So the, I know people who are just terrified of moving from one house to another. And you, I mean, there was a lot that went into this. Not only did you move from a house to a boat, but I think you sold pretty much everything you owned. Yeah. And this was also in the days before cell phones or anything. So you were, you were totally untethered. Yes, we had left, um, oh, like a U-Haul trailer worth of stuff that we wanted to keep. We, we stored that and everything else got sold. My husband quit his job. Um, I was in school at the time and quit school, quit my job, it was doing both. And um, no, there was no cell phone, no GPS, no anything. We steered by the stars using a sextant and dead reckoning. And um, we'd get to an island and my first stop would be to whatever telecommunication system they had. Often that was a, a room with a lot of little phone booths and you told the operator where you wanted to call and um, you might wait an hour and then she would tell you to which, which phone booth to go into and then you could make the call. So it might be 3 a.m. when I called home to talk to family um, <laughs> because that's when I could get through. And the other thing was the post office. I would Our passages might be 20 days long and I would write letters continuously through the 20 days so that they were, it was just a picture of what we'd been doing for that time frame. And then I would mail all the letters when we got to an island. So back before you got on the boat, you know, you said you kept about a U-Haul's trailer worth of stuff. How did you decide what to keep? And did you, did you make good decisions when you looked back on that? Yes. We sold all the furniture, all the yard working stuff, all that kind of stuff went. Um, I kept my art things, art that we had collected over the years, um, treasures that, you know, family treasures, um, baby books, that kind of thing. Um, the only thing that I got rid of that I really regretted was my collection of books. And they, were, they weren't expensive books, it was just books that I had enjoyed reading or books that were reference books. And I had a lot of them and just didn't see that it made sense to store them and certainly not to take them on the boat. Um, so that, that was hard for me to come back after three years and then not have my books. Mm-hmm. That's the only, the only thing that I missed. That's not bad. Out, out of all the no. things you got rid of, to only have missed one category of items. So in, in retrospect, that's the thing you might have done differently is held on to more of the books and stored them. For a long time, I felt that way. At this point, of course, I've replaced them several times over. And <laughs> um, it, it's, it's not a need anymore. I, I think one of the things that I've learned about all these moves is that you have a few treasures, but nothing else needs to stay. And if and when we leave this house, I intend to take nothing but the artwork um, and some family pieces, the furniture. I'm sorry. At this point, it's all just used furniture. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's one of the things that you do learn after both a lot of moves and a lot of years is that, you know, after just one move, you might feel like you're really missing something that that you let go of. But after many moves, you realize that things kind of come in and they flow out and everything, I mean, almost everything is replaceable. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and that even sort of applies to people, you know, some flow in and flow out and some, like I said, I, I have kept in close touch with, 
and others just are, are very fond memories. Maybe we stay in touch periodically, but um, it's okay because there's always new things, new people, new adventures. And hanging on to the old life, for me, would make me unhappy. Well, and, and I imagine that hanging on to the old life, whatever that means, old things, would kind of could potentially create a burden, right? Because it's, you know, you're just carrying more and more and more with you, which makes it hard to make room for anything new. I would. Yes. And, and many things don't fit in your new, in my new life. Um, Whether it's sports equipment, living in snow country in Montana, you know, we didn't need our snowshoes really anymore. Yeah. Um, We aged out of Montana. We, it was a very physical lifestyle. A lot of snowplow removal and shoveling roofs and that kind of thing. And, and it just got to be too much, the, the activities of daily living got to be too mm-hmm. much of a burden. Um, so it was okay to move. You know, we were, we were happy with that. And like, well, what would be different? So we just chose something randomly. I, I still wanted to be west of the Rockies. And we wanted someplace warm and someplace near a grocery store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, that's how we ended up in Albuquerque for a few years. So let's contrast the small places you've lived with the big places you've lived. I know that there was a pretty big house in California, pretty big house in Albuquerque, and also the current house in Georgia. And then small homes, which would include the sailboat, the straw bale in Montana, and your RV. What do you think is the biggest difference in living tiny versus living big and the pros and cons of both? Uh well, a definite con of having a big house is that you end up with more stuff. When we moved into this house, um, I think we'd lived here a few months, and uh, somebody came over to the house and said, well, when is the rest of your stuff arriving? <laughs> it's all my stuff. It wasn't enough to fill the house. Now there's plenty to fill the house, and I'm working on decreasing the amounts now. Um, we all tend to, you know, if we if there's extra closet space, we find something to put in it. Yeah, humans, that's what happens. That's what we do. A tiny house requires so little of you. Our straw bale house was 900 square feet and um, basically a living room, kitchen, and bedroom, and just a tiny bathroom. Wish we had put a laundry room on that. Would, would, would recommend the laundry room next time. Um, but it had no storage particularly. Uh, I had a uh, European-style wardrobe for our clothes. And it was so easy to take care of, you know. I'm going to clean the house today was a 20-minute job, <laughs> as opposed to this house, which is a major undertaking. So that would be how it weighs that a small house is, is better for living, and you just have, you live your life. You don't, aren't indebted to your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, in this house, I have a fantastic studio to work in. My husband has a lovely office for his work. We have plenty of space during COVID to mm-hmm. be living in the same house, but have our own spaces and, and privacy. And, uh, you know, those are really nice things. Yeah. The other tiny category that, that you didn't mention was apartments, rentals. Oh, right, of course, um, which you've lived in many of those. Over the years, lived in many different uh, rentals, and again, they have some really nice things. You're not worrying about fixing the roof, and you know if there's an issue, the landlord comes and takes care of it. But you have no privacy, um, comparatively. 
if you want to be doing yard work, you have no yard, you know, so it, again, to me, it just depends on the adventure that you're having at the moment. Yeah. And, and seeing the positive in it, which I think is something that I'm hearing, like you're identifying the good in each one instead of identifying the bad. <laughs> yeah. And everything has good and bad. It's, it's your focus that, that matters. And uh, for us, when we find ourselves going, this is too much work, or this is a chore, or I'm just not enjoying this anymore. That's when we choose to move on. And I know a lot of people you know, wouldn't like that. Um, and a lot of people are very bonded to their family unit mm-hmm. and they all live. But my family, I have family in South Carolina. I have, I have, have had family up in Alaska, certainly, you know, the West Coast, California. Um, we're all over the place. So trying to stay put doesn't make sense. Because they'll just move or you're all spread out anyway. Yeah. And I might be close to one person, but I'm further from everybody else. Now, taking us back to the boat again, because I'm just fascinated by that. Now, you had your own way of living. I'd like to know a little bit about what you did to set up that 40-foot space as a home and how that compared to some of the things you saw from other sailors that you shared the ocean with. Uh, Well, a boat is self-contained, so you're not setting up furniture or anything. It's just, it's all built in for you. Um, Being inexperienced sailors and certainly inexperienced cruising sailors. There were things about the boat that we chose poorly. And uh, one was the idea that we wanted to, to be up with some viewing, viewing windows so that we would be able to see out, not be down claustrophobic. Well, in the South Pacific, when the sun is shining all the day, every day, and it's hot, and there's no real escape, that's not what you want. And the boats mm-hmm. we most enjoyed visiting You'd go in and down a stairway and into this dark, cool enclosure that was kind of below water level and and therefore cooler. So, um, you know, there were things like that just in choosing the boat. Um, It's a little bit like how geography of homes is different. You know, what you build in the south versus what you build in the north because of literally the weather and climate. So same thing would apply on a boat. Very much. Right boat for the right geography. Yeah. So, um, you know, it really wasn't personalized in that way, in a, in a traditional way. You choose your bedding and that kind of thing. But um, so it, I guess I don't really know how to answer that question. Well, I wonder, so both the, the comment about geography is interesting because I'm assuming, first of all, that you tried to solve for some of the heat problems, right? And, and people move into homes all the time where there's a problem and they have to, especially if it's a rental, they have to be really creative about how they're going to solve it because they can't go changing the, the, the unit. And a boat is the same way for different reasons. So that is what, true. how did you figure out, because you did live on it for three years. I'm assuming you made it somewhat comfortable. Yes, we, we bought yards and yards of canvas. Um, I had my sewing machine on board. And so we made um, essentially a giant tent that fit over the boat, um, suspended from the 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 horizontal thing that comes off the mast called a boom. Um, so you, you draped it over that and, and mm-hmm. tied it down to the sides of the boat. So we'd have some shade that way. Um, the window coverings were like um, Roman shades in a, mm-hmm. in a dark navy blue to block light. And so, yeah, we definitely did things to make that more workable. The space was small and in the owner's cabin, 
the bed was built in against the, the wall of the, of the boat, the bulkhead. So the two of us are there. And of course, if you're the person not on the outside of that, it got hot and sticky and uncomfortable. Yeah. So we ended up sleeping. He, uh, my husband slept down there and I pretended to sleep up in the cockpit in the fresh mm -hmm. air. And so we learned that on a boat, you don't necessarily have the same sleeping arrangements that you right. would on land. Well, and I'm guessing you've done things like that through every single home because, you know, moving, it's not a small feat. It's a, it's a huge undertaking to move homes. And every time you move, you have to figure out all the new systems. Where are the light switches? How does the oven work? How are we going to solve for this stupid sun problem that we're having? Yes. And a lot of people wouldn't embrace that. That would just be too much for them. So what is it that is such a powerful pull that makes you go, yeah, I'm willing to put myself through that again and go for the next adventure. How do you um, keep energy through that? We're project people. We really like having projects. And um, what's amazing to, to both of us, actually, is that we have now been in this house for eight years, which is a record for us by a fair amount. Yeah. It's such a big house, and it was in such bad condition that you know we've spent a lot of time and energy, and we're nowhere near finished fixing all the things that this house needed. Um, and we decided last week that we really ought to have a little deck out in the woods. Um, so we're going to be putting a deck up. And of course, Wilson, who's three months old, is a major part of a project right now. Yeah. Um, I think without COVID, we might have done made different choices. Um, might be looking at moving at this point. Mm -hmm. But the world changed on us. So we've just kind of re reinvigorated and re-energized our projects. And, and it sounds like that projects, you've used two words quite a few times, adventures and projects. So it seems like what home, one of the things that is consistent about home is that it is your project. It is the thing that you are. Yeah. Because we, as, as you, you've asked, what do you do to make a home your own? And, and I guess that's the answer is we, we look at the property or the house, you know, depending on where we're starting from and say, this is what I envision. And, and then it's just a series of projects. And when we move, it tends to be because those projects are done and, and we're ready for a new project. Yeah. Um, when we bought the, the land up in Montana, I really wanted to do a straw bale house. Nobody, including my husband, had ever heard of a straw bale house and certainly not in the north. Um, so that was, that was a real adventure and, and a lot of fun. And we loved that house. It was, it was a great place to live. What advice would you give to somebody who wanted to build their own straw bale house? Um, stay within standard measurements instead of just kind of a fantasy thing. Um, it'll save you a lot of labor. What did you, what, I'm assuming you didn't do that? No, we didn't do that. We just designed <laughs> it and then stuck the windows where we wanted the windows. And straw bales come in a certain dimension, like a cube. And so our spaces would be like a cube and a quarter. <laughs> take a straw bale apart, retie it into the proper size. And you know, wow. makes a lot more work. And I wanted cathedral ceilings. So I think we had a, hmm, I can't remember what the pitch of the roof was, but really steep. And so you have to infill the bales up to the peak of that. And yeah, I would say if you're going to do it, have somebody who's experienced help you design the house. <laughs> 
but we love like that's it. not really what you how you've done any of your projects. You didn't go into sailing with experience. You didn't no. go into straw bales with experience. No, and, it, and that's part of the fun is the figuring it out. Is that fair to say? It's very fair to say, and it's very fair to say that we have a high tolerance for adjusting the plan or for it taking longer. Mm-hmm. I will say when we did the straw bale, um, winter had arrived. It was, it was cold up there, and we were living in the RV on the property, and we stuck straw bales underneath the RV to try and keep it warmer. And stuff. Mm-hmm. It was, I had to get the inside of the straw bale plastered before we could move in, and so I was plastering in sub-freezing weather. and. Mm-hmm. That was an adventure. Plastering is a big job. No kidding. Now you, I don't think you moved around a lot as a child, right? You had pretty much one childhood home. No, um, I was born in Michigan, and so we had a, a little house there, and then we moved to California, and that's the house I stayed in until I was eighteen. So with that home, because it was it was a very permanent home, the house in California. Yes. Do you think it informed? how you have approached home since then, either what you're doing differently or what you took away from, you know, how you and your family set up that home. What, how did that inform you? I think a lot of it has to do more, more with my mother than with the actual home, the actual structure. She was, we were on a budget and we were far from wealthy. We, we could pay the bills and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And she was so creative. She was so able to say, well, this is what we want and this is how we're going to achieve it. And, and she instilled that, I think, in all four of us, my siblings, just an idea that figure it out and it'll probably work out fine. If it doesn't work out fine, then you figure something else out. That's really beautiful. What a life skill, not just for home, but for kind of everything. For everything. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of her great gifts. What was one of the most creative things she did in the house that you remember? Um, one of the big successes was that she wanted, we had this tiny little bathroom off the kitchen. It was like room for a body, a toilet, and a, one of those little tiny corner sinks. Mm-hmm. That was it. And she really wanted to wallpaper it, didn't have the money to, wallpaper was very expensive at that time. And she found some contact paper. It was white with hot pink flowers. And she contact papered from floor to ceiling, around the toilet. <laughs> And we had that for years. Worked really well. Was easily washed. You know, was great. Um, one of her less successful projects, when we bought the house, um, the floors were a gray linoleum. The counters were gray, formica, and the walls were hot pink. Oh my! And she hated it. I mean, it was a good-sized family kitchen, and all this hot pink. So she painted it white again and again and again. <laughs> she didn't know about um, primer and stain blocking. And finally, after about painting it for like four times, she talked to an expert who said, oh, just put a coat of this on it. And, oh. <laughs> well, makes a good story now. Yeah. And again, there are times when asking a professional for help can save you a lot of grief and steps. Absolutely. Not required. It just might mean more grief and steps along the way to getting to success. Yeah. Yeah. That hot pink really bleeds through white, (laughs) which is a good lesson for me as an artist later on. Yeah. No kidding. Um, So the other thing that people sometimes 
I'm trying to figure out as they're setting up home, it's like, what do they, what makes them happy, right? What, what level of sophistication, what level of cleanliness and orderliness? I'm assuming that, well, I'm assuming a couple of things. I'm assuming number one, that smaller homes are easier to keep clean. You already touched on the fact that they're at least faster to get clean. Yes. But my question is around um, the, specifically on the boat, you didn't have a lot of fresh water. So no. you have a smaller space. I'm guessing you have limited stuff, so easier to keep tidy. But let's, let's just talk about keeping things clean. Let's start on the boat because I'm, I'm interested. Um, I, I will go there in a second. Let me first just point out there's a big difference between clean and tidy. And we can go back to that. Ah, true. It's, it's hugely different. And it took me a long time to learn that. And I'm a tidy person and my husband's a clean person. And that can cause some problems. Tell me about the difference. Oh, well, he hates dust. And if the house <laughs> is dusty, he would just lose it and tell me, the house is filthy and it's just a pigsty. Is this? And I'm, you know, it took me a long time to figure out what he means is, please dust. <laughs> so you're saying there can be shoes everywhere, oh. uh, dishes on the counter, whatever. As long as it's not dusty, he thinks it's clean? Yes. And it <laughs> drives me crazy because dust is just dust. But clutter is evil. It's awful. <laughs> so it has taken us a while to learn each other's language and to differentiate between his very easygoing comfort with insane clutter and my intolerance of that. And like, I don't care if the things are dusty. Well, I love that you say that because it's such a thing I see with couples all the time where they're using the same word and meaning completely different things. And it can be really hard to figure that out. And it's such an epiphany when you do. It's like, oh, well, if dust bothers him that much, I I don't mind dusting. I just don't care about it. So (laughs) periodically through, I'll go through and dust. That's easy. Mm But your question about the boat and keeping it clean, um, we had very limited fresh water mm-hmm. and we took a route that was very unusual. So we weren't stopping at major islands and we didn't have any other boat companions. So we're just, it's just us. And so you do a lot of cleaning with salt water, just ocean water. It's clean. It's just very salty, but it's also mm-hmm. full of plankton. So it's got some sliminess to it. <laughs> um, so we, everything gets washed in that. Uh, Dawn dishwashing liquid is pretty good for cutting through it. And then you use a very limited amount of, of fresh water to just wipe things down that have to be wiped down. Mm-hmm. The same way we bathed, you know, you bathe in salt water and, and then a quick rinse with, with limited fresh water. And it worked out? You were okay with it? Yeah. My hair was a little unhappy with it. Uh, <laughs> kind of looked like straw. I came back to the States for a visit and, uh, I had an appointment with a hairdresser, and when I came back, the people we were staying with is, my God, what happened to your hair? It looks great. <laughs> Oops, I didn't mean that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, but, you know, again, it's a choice you make. Do I want to worry about my hair looking like straw, or do I want to have fun all day long playing? And yeah, nice me, perspective. Now, I do remember you had shared with me that your friends, I remember specifically a couple of friends, they lived a very elegant life on their boat. Oh, yes. What was the difference? How did they manage that? Is that a personality thing? Was it a boat thing? What was it? It was both. Um, Their boat was larger than ours. And 
lent itself to more elegant living. It had a cockpit that you could really entertain in and things like that. And it had brass portholes. It was an elegant old boat. So um, partly it was just a difference in style of boat, but, but Bill was, um, he was just that kind of person. Everything was perfect. He said to me once that he needed to feel that the Queen of England could arrive and feel at home in his home. And that oh. was what was important to him. So, so he really put the effort into having everything, all that brass was perfectly polished. I loaned him a coffee pot once and or a thermos. And when it came back, it looked brand new. And it didn't when I gave it to him. <laughs> but um, that kind of takes me to the back to the tidiness versus cleanliness thing too. It's much, there's a balance. A, a giant house is a lot of work no matter what. It's just mm -hmm. a lot of space to keep clean. But a tiny house, you have to be really on top of everything. Three pieces of clothing scattered about makes the whole place look cluttered. Right. And, and a middle ground where everything has its place, but, you know, a few things out of place and the house still looks basically good. That's kind of the sweet spot. Mm. And it sounds like it's also, it really comes down to priorities, right? Cause I'm assuming that yes. you could have lived as elegant a life as Bill. Yeah. But you would have had to chosen to spend your days polishing things. Yeah. And I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's all about your priorities and your, your priorities and what makes you happy. Yeah. For Bill having his house always look spotless and inviting and to be able to say, come on over and be able to throw together a wonderful party that, that made him happy and made his partner happy. And for us, that's not the case. We want to be able to say, yeah, let's drop everything and go kayaking. Let's, let's go dig in the mud, let's, whatever. Yeah. So I, I think the important thing is to spend time thinking about what it is that makes you happy, not your mother, not <laughs> the neighbors, um, or whoever kind of is in your head telling you these things, figure out what makes you happy and figure out what makes your partner happy. So, because it's, again, it's not always the same thing. Right. And, and you, you have to you find think ways that they to can usually be brought together or have you guys, is, I don't know if this is true or not, but has part of moving been part of fulfilling each of your needs differently like, have you always been able to balance both of your needs in every house or has been moving been part of balancing those needs? Um, I think, I think each move has been a balance. One of us might be more ready than the other. Like when we went on the sailboat, my husband really, really needed a change in his life. He needed to leave work and have a major break. I was very happy. I was enjoyed my job. I enjoyed my school family things that, that were good. But I was willing to make that change. And partly, uh, obviously, because I love him and he needed it, but also partly because who would turn down an adventure like that? You a know? lot of people. I know a lot of people, but, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> so um, when we moved from Montana to Albuquerque, I said, I just need a grocery store and an airport that I can get to, you know, you know, in a reasonable fashion. It's not a three-hour drive. And um, 
he was ready for a little easier lifestyle that didn't involve plowing and you know doing all the, the heavy lifting. So we just we just balance the needs. Um, I think before we lived on the boat, we were probably a more standard couple. Mm-hmm. And then living on the boat, you really learn. I mean, you either make it as a couple or you don't. I mean, you're, you're together twenty four seven. It's COVID like times a thousand. Times a thousand. You have no other options, um, and and we were at sea for twenty or thirty days at a time. Not and not also facing very scary things, right? The oceans would be insane sometimes, right? Yeah. We, had, we had big storms, and again, it was all a learning curve how how to do this, how to manage it, and um, we had some good arguments. And <laughs> I'd say I was getting off the boat, and he'd tell me I wasn't getting off fast enough, and. <laughs> Three or four days later, we'd make landfall and everything would be fine again. But um, yeah, I think I think as Americans, we tend to focus so much on things and worry about having the proper things, whatever that proper means to us. You know, the, the fancy house or the swimming pool or clothes that are in fashion, whatever, or even our job. You know, or a job, yeah, all these, all these things, and I think, um, I think that we would be better off, all of us, regardless of what our answers are, if we spent more time thinking about what truly makes me happy. The old question of, if there was a fire, what would you save? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a fire on the boat, uh, not the sailboat, but a, a boat that we had more recently, uh, and we had minutes to think about it. What did we save? Well, I'd been working on a painting that was important to me. It was actually going into a show, had been promised. And we had an emergency kit that we had packed up. So I grabbed our wallets so we would have ID and the painting and the emergency kit and off we went. Yeah. So um, you really do learn what's important when you consider these things, even if it's just in your head that you're considering these things. So almost by whether you choose to move or being forced to move, since lots of things happen, hurricanes and job losses and whatever, yeah. it, it does give us the opportunity to figure out what truly matters to what us. Matters. And, and how to let go of things, sometimes with sorrow, you know, sure. we were able to, the boat did not burn to the ground or to the waterline. In that case, um, and we would have been really sad had it had that happened and lost a lot of things. But do you are there things from? I assume there are things and uh, I don't know situations from past homes from your past lives that you miss. Oh yeah, but you just look back on them fondly and and embrace what you're in now. Is that how do yeah. you how do you manage it? I feel so lucky to have had these things. You know, I had. We lived in um, outside of Seattle in Mercer Island, and the house we bought had been owned by a gardener. And so we had this opportunity to live in this beautiful, beautiful flower garden. And, you know, that just still brings me joy to, to remember what that garden looked like. Um, in Montana, we snowshoed endlessly. We loved it. And our, we had two large dogs, and so every... Pretty much every day, we'd take off across the fields in, in our snowshoes and the dogs jumping around like rabbits through the snow. <laughs> you know, these, these are things that 
have made my life. And I don't need to still be snowshoeing. I miss it, but I don't need to be, still be doing it. I have it in my head and the joy that we had those days. Yeah, I think it's really, I hope that it's helpful for our listeners, but it's actually really helpful for me personally to hear this because my husband and I are trying to move to Paris in a couple of years, and that's going to mean some drastic changes. And I love my home. I've put a lot of work into creating a home that I love. Um, and the idea of leaving it all behind, you know, part of me is thinking, well, can I strategize holding onto these things and that thing? And I think there's a lot of hope to be heard in what you're saying in that it's okay to let pretty much all of it go and to have faith that 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 hole that you're creating is going to be filled with other just as wonderful things. Yes. And as long as you remember them with joy, you don't necessarily have to have them again. And your next home um, might not have a space that's just right and perfect for that chair you're hanging on to. Um, In my case, literally a hanging chair. Huh? Ah. <laughs> Yes, those things that I really love in my home, but a hanging chair will not fit into every single home. It won't. And if you try and make it fit, it it can rob it of the joy that it had. Or if you try to choose a home based on fitting it, you might not end up with the home that makes you the most. Not right. You know, we had I had a life sized um, I had a life sized TARDIS in my last office, and when we had to move offices, I knew that it wouldn't fit because the ceiling heights, and it was so sad for me to let go of my TARDIS. But the new space is, it suits the company so much more. And so do I hold on to the TARDIS or do I embrace this thing that's a better fit for so many other reasons? And I had to learn to let go. And, and how do you feel about the TARDIS now? Do you still remember it with great joy and, and all the pleasure of having built it? Of course. And of course, I still miss it. Yeah. Like you're saying, you can look back fondly and think nostalgically, but I don't. I don't regret letting it go to bring in the other good things in my life at all. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a big part of the key is if we're if we're afraid to let go, especially of things, mm-hmm. then you can never be open to all the incredible, wonderful opportunities that the world has for us. You know, I I don't with one exception, I don't regret anything that I've made choices of in my adult life as a before my adult life I was just a kid um, where it wasn't wasn't making decisions um you know I went to nursing school it wasn't really my choice it was my mother's choice it's what she wanted for me and it was it was okay as a career it, it really never resonated with me to be a nurse but it was fantastic for who I turned out to be in the sense of I could work part-time, I could quit, I could come back, go back to work, I could choose my hours and, and my shifts. That's perfect for who I am. And, um, you know, never had to worry about making a living, choosing between my freedom and making a living. Right. It's very fortunate. Now, is so, that, you said there's you basically alluded to the fact that there's one thing you regret, which of course, I mean, I'm assuming that the listeners are wondering what's the one thing. So what's the one thing you do regret making a decision as an adult? There were times when I didn't have my daughter with me and Mm. that would be the one, one thing I would change no matter what I would find a way to make it so that she could be with me always. There'd be a lot of adventures for her. Indeed. She did come (laughs) on some of the adventures. (laughs) 
So what advice would you want to leave listeners with for people who are wanting to create their own happy place? I guess what I've been saying all along, think about what makes you happy, you yourself only, and what makes your partner happy, and then go chase it. Find a way for those two happinesses to blend, whether it's choosing house colors or where that house, what continent that house is going to be on. <laughs> or not continent or ocean. I mean, you can be anxious and nervous about a choice, but don't be afraid of it because it's going to take care of itself and there'll be wonderful, wonderful adventures. That's my belief. That is a perfect place to end this. I absolutely love everything you've shared and I think it will give people a lot of hope and courage in the face of fear to chase their happiness. That's really wonderful. And I think, just let me add one last thing. I can. Um, With COVID, it is a game changer for all of us. We, I think right now, would pick up and and move to Europe if COVID hadn't happened. Um, Your happiness doesn't have to be depend on a particular dream. Mm. You know, we can we can find a way to make this place go on being happy for us or find another place here in the United States until COVID is done. But, you know, it's, it's flexibility and finding a ways to make the happiness work, not a particular dream work. Excellent. So you are an artist. Where can people find you and your artwork? My website is my name, terryrafferty.com. Um, I have a gallery up in Provincetown, Massachusetts called Bowersock Gallery. And I'm supposed to be on Facebook and Instagram, and I am trying to be better about that. <laughs> Not really my thing, but I'm trying to be better. Technically, you're on social media. Technically, I am on social media, and I do pop up every once in a while. Fantastic. And of course, we'll have links to the gallery and to your website in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your home stories with us. It's quite the adventure you've had, and I suspect we'll continue to have. I hope so. So it's really good to talk to you, Rebecca. What a pleasure. And to my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Creating Your Happy Place and that you do feel quite a bit more encouraged and empowered to make your home your happy place and figure out what your next adventure is going to be too. If you feel stuck, please do check out my book, Happy Starts at Home. It's full of exercises that are designed to help you figure out what will make you happy in your home and what isn't working for you and what could change to make it happy for you. And if you have a specific design dilemma in your home, you can also reach out to my team at Seriously Happy Homes. We can meet with you over Zoom to figure out the next practical steps to creating your happy place. In the meantime, no matter where you call home, I hope it makes you seriously happy. Until next time, 